Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. And as we do every Thursday, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today is a former multiple NASCA lightweight champion from the DMV area, spending the late 90s and early 2000s on sport karate teams Team Elite and Team CJB. In the later half of 2012, he joined SportsMartialArts.com to help bring the sport to the next level with professional coverage. He is the play-by-play commentator for night show tournament broadcasts. Away from martial arts, he has over 20 years in software development and is an avid gamer. Please welcome to the show today my guest, Mr. Mallory Woods. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing well, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I I appreciate you taking the time to do this. I'm I'm looking forward to, to the conversation. How we like to kick things off, I want to go back to the very beginning. I know you kind of talked about it before we started recording, but what led to that that first interest, that first spark in martial arts? Now, you mentioned your dad was involved. Was that the main reason? Was there another thing that kind of led you to martial arts? And just talk a little bit about how you got started. Yeah, you know, it's it's actually interesting because uh, my dad, um, so my dad started uh, his martial arts journey in, um, he's always told me Southeast Asia. He never mentioned anywhere specific, but he started taking judo from an instructor that had, I, I think he said he spoke three words of English, yes, no, and faster. <laughs> and he started learning judo out there, and he was really passionate about uh, wanting to learn more martial arts when he came back. And he, we're in the D.C. area, and uh, uh, Grandmaster Junior had just opened up, I think if the school was on 1919 Street, where he quickly joined. So obviously having me in 1971, yes, I'm that old, uh, when, he, when you know I was old enough, about six or seven he asked me if he wanted if I wanted to start training. And at the time, I would go to the dojo, the Marlowe Heights Dojo uh, of June Reeve, right up of uh, St. Barnabas Road, if I remember right. And I would go there and I would see guys like uh, Jeff Smith and Michael Coles and a, n- a number of other you know, great martial artists at that time. I'd sit there and watch. But I told my dad I didn't have any interest. Well, we had to really fast forward uh, all the way to my junior year at college. I went to uh, Bowie State University. It's uh, Historically Black University at Bowie, Maryland, and I ran into Francis Panita uh, <laughs> one weekend. I believe I was working, and we ran into each other at work. And he said, "You know, I just got my own dojo, and I'm in Glendale, Maryland, which is really, you know, just a stone's throw from Bowie." Okay. So I started thinking about it, and I said, "You know what? I, I I've got a little bit of a light class load uh, this year, my junior year. I think I want to go ahead and start taking those martial arts lessons." So I went and talked to Francis. We talked about the program. Uh, I found out how many times a week uh, that people trained, and I talked it over and signed up and really surprised my dad when I came home that year at Thanksgiving, telling him that I've signed up, I've started taking classes, and I think I was going almost every day, uh, which they they really not even heard of at the time, but I loved it. I enjoyed going that often, and that's where that journey began. So what was it once you started? What drew you to it? What made you want to keep going and, and obviously going every day? It was, uh, so you know, I loved exercising and um, being active. And this presented a real challenge. It was something, you know, that I thought that I always wanted to do. And I really had the time to really dedicate the attention, the time and attention, thus going as many times as possible. Uh, you know, I just really couldn't get enough of it. I was there. I was you know, even though you'd be sore the next day, I loved the way uh, things began for me. And then someone came to the school, had a flyer about a tournament. And that pretty much sealed it. I was actually going to ask what, what led to the uh, the competition part. But before, before I get into the competition part, I want to, you know, what are, what are some things that stood out about your first instructor? Your first instructor was obviously a, a previous guest of, of our show. So I'm, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot there. But what, what are some things you remember about your, your uh, first instructor? So for Francis, the thing that's interesting is that I knew Francis before, um, before I, you know, I'd taken on my role as a student. Mm-hmm. Francis and I were both involved in the Commodore 64 BBS scene. So nice. for those of you that are a little bit, you know, younger, you might have to Google this. 
Before there was ever there was an internet, computers used to dial up and connect by, via modem. And Francis actually ran. <laughs> that, there, there was a, <laughs> that wonderful noise. Francis used to run a board, and he called it the dojo. And his alias online was the Karate Kid. <laughs> and I met him at a couple of meetups and knew him. And then I found out actually he went to my uh, Crosstown rival high school. I went to Oxon Hill High School. He went to Friendly High School. Mm-hmm. And we were friends. And actually, I knew Francis probably about two years before I actually met him face to face, you know, knowing that, knowing that he was in, in martial arts and seeing him occasionally around town and everything. It was, uh, it was, it was just a perfect fit. Francis was dedicated. He, his attention to detail is precise. Uh, seeing him uh, train people when I was there, just a white or yellow belt, he was training a, another, I think another former guest of yours, uh, Carmichael Simon. Yep. Carmichael lived in Crofton, Maryland, not too far from, you know, this little complex little area. And seeing him, uh, you know, I knew, Char- I knew Carmichael was amazing in itself. I didn't know how big he was until I started going to tournaments and finding out, mm-hmm. wow, this guy's winning like everything. Yep. <laughs> but seeing him with Carmichael was great. You know, made me just want to train more and more with Francis. That's cool. Yeah. And when he was on, he, he told me about the whole BBS thing. He never told me his, uh, his online name was uh, the Karate Kid though. <laughs> See, I, ha- I still have a working Commodore 64, like five feet from me right now. And I used to, my local BBS was the Elves Den. And then I, I, I ran my own for a short period of time. Uh, my, my online handle back then was Viper. And I think it was called the Viper's Nest was my BBS. So <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's a really interesting subculture and you think about it and it's funny because there are a number of different, I actually have my current job because of someone else. Francis knows there's a guy named Mike Horty, completely nothing to do with martial artists mm-hmm. except being a, a fan of uh, modern MMA. But it was meeting Francis and Michael, and Michael helped me get the job that I actually have today. So mm-hmm. those roots that go back so many years ago, uh, you know, paid complete dividends for both halves of my lives. One as a martial artist and one in the professional area. Yeah, some of my best friends I met through that BBS. There's, you know, my and, and uh, one, one a guy I worked for when I lived in California. I met through computers and Commodore 64s and BBSs, and and I currently work in IT. So it's you know, it like, all you know, just comes back. Exactly, that's kind of cool. But yeah, now back to the competition. So you you said an opportunity for a tournament. First of all, what made you want to compete? And had you ever done? sports before that and then any kind of competition? So I uh, played a lot of intramural sports uh, growing up. The uh, uh, was the Oxen Hill Burl, Boys and Girls Club, I think it was called. So I did everything, uh, football, basketball, uh, t-ball, tried baseball, got a little bit fray- afraid when they started, uh, when it went from coach pitch, uh, because I felt the guys <laughs> yeah. didn't have any control. So that kept me uh, closer to football, basketball, uh, shattered the kneecap in the sixth grade from football. Mm-hmm. So I went to basketball after that, stayed pretty much in basketball as long as I could. And then when going to high school, it wasn't necessarily a sport, but I did four years of ROTC where we did lots of competition. So okay. competition was just in my blood. And, you know, leaving that behind from high school to college, it had been a while that I was you know, looking for something something to actively compete in. And martial arts definitely filled that void. Think back to that first tournament. Yeah, What do you remember about that first tournament? You know, How'd you do? What'd you compete in? If I remember correctly, I want to say that this tournament was, it was the Charlie Lee, uh, I think he called it the Nationals. It was a double-A NASCA tournament. Mm-hmm. And I remember competing there. Uh, I think it was at Nova Community College in Annandale, Virginia. And I competed there and... Um, I think I was a gold belt. And so I did forms. I didn't do weapons. I did forms. I don't remember my placement. I, I didn't win. And I was looking forward to sparring. And I was thinking, hey, this is what I'm really good at. And I lost. Okay. And it was, it was a little bit disappointing. Mm-hmm. But I do remember my dad being there. And my dad would always have, like, you know, driving back home from any competition, whether we were going to New York or driving to Virginia Beach or driving south, was like a, um, a debrief for my dad. Mm-hmm. You got to learn to do this. You know, you should do this better. You should do this. You should do this. And my dad would always fill in, try to fill in the holes of things that he saw, be, being a, a former fighter okay. and everything. And it was, I mean, it was a good time to have with my dad to, yeah. to travel and do that. Definitely. So then what, what do you remember then? What was it that made you want to, was it that conversation with your dad that made you want to give it another shot after, I know I've talked to some guests where like they, you know, like me, myself, I did one tournament, I lost, I did not enjoy it and I never did another one. So what made you want to do it again? Was it that conversation with your dad and pointing out what you could do better? It was that. And then the option of like, I I can do better at this. I, I don't, I don't like 
no one, so as, as getting older, I've learned that a lot of times people won't try something because they're afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. However, failure in itself, if you don't think of, you know, things like life or death or, or, or losing a job or, or, you know, keeping a job, but failure in itself is a great teacher. And some people, you know, may not necessarily understand that the way I say it, but if you think of Edison, Edison said, I found, you know, so many times or so many ways that the light bulb wouldn't work. He didn't look at those as failures, but it's sometimes through failure that you do bridge your way to success. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to go and I wanted to win. So I went back, I practiced harder. I, I tried to take the, the knowledge of what, you know, my dad uh, told me. And sometimes that knowledge, when tra- trying to transfer the knowledge to skill, it's difficult, but that's what the learning process is. You know, he said, do this, and I'm trying to do that. And it's, you know, the body and the mind are trying to, trying to, trying to hook up and link up and everything. But the idea was that I can do better. So I, I went back to retrain and went back to another tournament. Okay. And then you remember the first one you won? Uh, I think it was like a local tournament. And I remember when I won, one of the things that was weird is that uh, by that time I was uh, doing weapons, forms, and sparring. Mm-hmm. And I think if I remember right, I won all, I won first place in all three. So that was a great day, uh, you know, for, for competing. Oh yeah, definitely. And then w- w- how about your first time winning one of the, at the, one of the big uh, NASCAR events, like, you know, the, the U S <laughs> open, the diamond nationals. Uh, I remember that precisely. Okay. So that was uh capital classics, uh, which is here in Washington, DC. Mm-hmm. It was, um, it was given by Dennis Brown who, Quick side note, Dennis Brown does Kung Fu, but a lot of people don't know that Dennis actually started in the junior system. He was actually a green belt with my father when he was there before Dennis went off to Kung Fu. So most people just know him as like, oh, he's a Kung Fu style. It's like, no, actually he has a background in Taekwondo as well. But going to Capital Classics, I remember meeting Dennis when I was much younger and it kind of felt, you know, natural. But I was there, the, the, the tournament was at the convention center in D.C. and I won super lightweight. So uh, it was great. And then right after winning, back then in Nash, uh, for NASCAR tournaments, if you won super lightweight, uh, you and the lightweight would fight at the night and the winner would win the grand. I think it was uh, 300 bucks or something like that. Yep. But it was super light versus light, light middle versus middle, light heavy versus heavy. And, you know, that was it for, for, for fighting. So right after winning that, it was that one moment of joy that I remember. Great. Awesome. I went, I'm in the nighttime finals. Oh, I've got to fight Pedro Xavier. So if you do a little <laughs> homework, Pedro Xavier was on the John Paul Mitchell karate team. Yep. An absolutely complete master yep. at throwing axe kick, hooks, everything. He was a beast. So I spent <laughs> 2 o'clock until 7 o'clock worrying my brain about what am I going to do when we were going to fight at 7.30 or 8 o'clock that night. I really spent about five hours stressing over this. Wow. That's funny. I actually was going to ask you about fighting Pedro because I, I, I know I remember <laughs> you fought him a few. T- did you ever f- fight him at the Diamond Nationals? I did. I fought Pedro. It was our as Team Elite uh, when we first when when Team Elite first uh, premiered. It was uh, I want to say October 1999 or 98 okay. at the Diamond Nationals, and we entered three teams in for team sparring, and then you had to have a light light lightweight, middleweight, and heavyweight. So I was a lightweight. And I remember sparring Pedro uh, at the Diamonds during team sparring, and I remember they had this, they had this um, long tarp that went over uh, the stage, and the, and as people move and everything, the tarp starts getting bunched up and everything. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was moving backwards to my left. I was trying to throw this body punch against Pedro, and I go to throw the body punch. The tarp is kind of um, all gathered around my plant foot. I kind of slip. Pedro hits me with a sidekick right to the jaw. I actually went out for a second. Uh, that footage is, I've seen it. Uh, Black and Blue's had it. Uh, mm-hmm. Some other people have had it. I, I remember losing consciousness just for a brief second. But yeah, fought Pedro at the Diamonds there, mostly in teams. Okay. Uh, I would always have to face him. I think that that sounds so familiar. I think I was actually at that event. <laughs> yeah, because I live in Minnesota and I've been to the Diamond mm-hmm. Nationals probably seven, eight times just to, you know to watch and stuff. And I know I went in like 97, 98, 99. And I went in like 90 through like 95. So I'm 90% sure I was at, <laughs> that sound, when you said that, that sounds familiar. I remember that trouble with the tarp and stuff. So if I remember right, so we had our red and white uniforms, we call them candy cane uniforms because they were, uh, uh, they were striped nice. red and white. So definitely it's, if you've seen that, they were very unique. No one else was wearing anything like that at the time, but that, you know, that was a, uh, 
to me, it was it was one thing that like you know you can't run away from this. Every time you fight, uh, every time we face JPM, you're gonna have to fight Pedro. So you, you, there's no way around it. You you got to go forward. So do you remember then what was your record against Pedro? How many wins? How many losses? Uh, I think uh, to be honest, I think at best uh, I tied him in uh, in the in the t- in team sparring. We rarely saw each other. I don't remember. Yeah, no, no, we we fought a couple times uh, in nighttime shows. I remember tying him. But one of the things about team sparring was. I didn't have to beat the one guy in front of me. I just have to keep the score close. And I have to, one, my job is not to give up the entire farm. I, I don't want to come in here and get five zipped, you know, put my team in a hold. Uh, the, the best thing to do is to keep it close. If you win, great. If you keep it close, if you tie, even better. And that would help set up, you know, win. It was, it was you know, putting the team in the team sparring. Um, I kept it close, and then it's up to the middleweight and the heavyweight close show. Okay. Very cool. Kind of like how they did it in the uh, in the movie Best of the Best, the team points. It's a classic <laughs> movie. I know, I love that movie. I actually got to got to uh, interview Simon Ree uh, like two months ago. So, yeah, love the movie and you know, kind of this kind of the same way they did the points, I guess. Nice. Mm-hmm. So then, at at any time in your martial arts career, did did teaching become something that ever interested to you? Did you uh, teach at all? So I was approached. Uh, I was in the U.S. Open one year, and at this time, I had moved. I'd relocated from Maryland to Virginia. Uh, one of my really good friends, Harry Carter, invited me to uh, the Black Belt Academy, which is right across the street from George Mason, because all of my training partners were still in Maryland. And at the time, traveling uh, from where I was living to to Maryland was pretty much a pipe dream, the way the traffic is in the D.C. area. Mm-hmm. So I found a local space, began to get integrated into, uh, in, you know, martial artists locally and finding out. And every Thursday night or so, I was uh, at Charlie Lee Karate. And Charlie Lee at that point had a um, national tournament, the World Series of Martial Arts, uh, which he would give every, I think it was uh, like February or March, if I remember right. And I met Charlie and uh, his wife uh, at the time, Brenda, and Brenda asked me to come by and uh, teach Charlie kickboxing. I was like, okay, all right, cool. You know, I come by. I'm going to be there later uh, because she needed the sparring partner. She was trying to beat, she was trying to beat Nikki Carson Lee. Right. Uh, and she said, I needed some people to, uh, you know, to come around and, and help me. So I began going there, and right after the U.S. Open one year, I remember I won the U.S. Open, I won Grands, and I saw Charlie at the tournament, and he said, hey, could you come by, and um, I'd like to talk to you about teaching at my school, because, quote, my kids can't fight, unquote. I said, okay, sure, uh, I'll meet you when I get back to Virginia, and it was that time, and Charlie said, no, I've got a house in, uh, in Orlando. Um, you know, here's the address, come on by after the tournament. Okay, all right, sure. So we talked, and... Um, he, uh, we set up this, uh, this pretty much handshake deal that, you know, I'd come in and teach a couple days a week. And if there was anything that my team didn't sponsor me to go to, that he would pay for the tournament completely. And I said, that seems fair to me. So, uh, I'll come in and teach. Very good. How long did you do that for then? Um, I did that for about, I want to say it was about five years, I think. Okay. He did tell me that I know that having you here makes a difference because my first kid at my tournament, one first place in sparring. Nice. Uh, that had never happened before, I guess, until that point. That's kind of cool. So it was, uh, it was, it was like this is great, you know. But I th- you know, one of the things that was really cool about uh, teaching is that you got to see uh, the kids grow. Like on the other hand, it's like uh, looking at a lot of my former students now that are off getting master's master's degrees and they're doing this that, and the other. It really reminds me of my age. But there were some. It was great to see the kids go from. Uh, one little girl was afraid of sparring because she said, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I just get beat up the entire class. I said, okay, all right. Well, I said, that's not going to happen anymore because you're not learning anything and neither is somebody that's just kind of, you know, bopping you like, like a little paddle ball, uh-huh. um, you know, where you just pop, 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 pop. I said, uh, that's, that, they're not learning anything and you're not learning anything. I said, we're, we're going to fix that. We're going to make it so that you're not afraid to spar anymore. And eventually she grew to love the class and only really wanted to come for sparring. That's a complete turnaround in my book. I guess a slight humble brag would be one of my students, when someone I can legitimately claim from no belt to black belt, is in Hollywood now. He was recently on, I remember when he told me, yeah, I just just came off the set for six months doing Obi-Wan. He also did some of the stunt work for Deadpool. And he's off just with this great stunt career, uh, Ross Costan. Okay. And I mean, it's just another guy from the DMV area who just said, hey, I'm going to head out to California and just... um, trying to look along with uh other guys like uh, uh john valera um mm-hmm. uh arnold chung uh there's a uh, jake i can't remember jake's last name right now but you know these these guys just went out and they 
really accomplished a dream, you know, and right. see, seeing Ross doing all this stuff, it's like, hey, this is great. I can say I actually trained Deadpool. That's a big feather in my cap. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so is that something that you ever thought of? I mean, because, you know, from the you know, late 80s through, you know, even through now, I mean, a lot of those NASCAR guys made it to Hollywood and they're still doing it. Is that something that ever had any interest for you at all? It did. Uh, unfortunately, at the time for me, being that I started at a, an older age, uh, let's see, when moving out here and first really competing a lot, I had a young daughter. Uh, she was born in 95. So definitely had a lot more responsibility. And then I, you know, I, I went to school to become a computer, computer scientist or computer programmer to mm-hmm. a developer. You know, technology has always been something that's just been of interest to me. And I thought about it, but also at the time, now one of the things I didn't think about, so let's look at the time period. We had uh, cable, we had our, you know, our regular channels, ABC, NBC, Fox, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people were thinking that if you go, if you don't go out there and make it in movies, then that's it. And, you know, you, you were thinking you want to be in front of the camera. What I didn't know is that there was so much lucrative opportunity for stunts and work from behind the camera right. and everything else. So a lot of the forms guys would go and they would get stunt work. And, you know, when talking to them, they said, yeah, we were all on project and do it for about six weeks. And then, boom, you're off and doing something else. And I didn't know that at the time. Plus, today, if you think about it, not only do we have our cable channels, but we have streaming services and projects that stream that only record digitally and go to a digital medium, like, you know, just a digital output, you know, Netflix or or, or, or Amazon. Right. And that's perfectly fine. There's more opportunity now than there used to be uh, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, way more. Yeah. So then what led to you getting involved in a few video games? So I met... Um, I met my buddy, and this probably came up with the interview with uh, Francis. Yep. Uh, this guy named uh, Travis Riggs. And going back to the whole bulletin board story, another guy that I met uh, on the bulletin board, I was in college, and I was uh, practicing uh, you know, training and everything. And at that time, I looked on one of the bulletin boards, and there was a message on there for someone that – if anybody has any Star Trek, Star Trek Next Generation videotapes, I'm doing a game and I need to pull some sound. And I looked at the VHS. Again, we're going back way in technology. <laughs> and where Bowie sits, you can get three channels that show different Star Trek The Next Generation episodes. Channel 20, Channel 54 in Baltimore, and um, uh, Channel 45. Uh, there might have been maybe Channel 54. But there were three places that I could actually record these. And since I was in college, I didn't have a regular TV viewing schedule. So a VHS worked perfect. It could, you know, change the channel. I can program it to go do this, that. And I was, I was trying to catch up. Next Generation started, I think, my senior year of high school. Okay. So I answered the, I answered the, uh, uh, the post and I said, hey, you know, I, I got a ton of stuff that you can use. And we went out there and we, we talked a bunch and we found out we knew a lot of the same people. And, you know, he said, it's, it was my dream. I would love to study the martial arts. I, you know, obviously I haven't had the time. He's running his own business. And he, uh, you know, he took the tapes for, you know, what, what he had and actually started working on him, training on him with some things, you know, showing him some basic kicks and, and punches and everything. And eventually he came up with the idea that he has this game that he wants to do. So he knew, he knew how to get, you know, acting talent and everything else. And he needed some other people to, um, to come in and do, uh, you know, actually do the performance. And at the time, The Untouchable, which was the game that I worked with with Francis Pineda and Travis Riggs, that wasn't the first game. He had an idea for a game before then, which I don't even remember the name of, but he saw the talent that he got from the game. And in doing this uh, video game, you know, shooting it up against a giant, not necessarily green screen, but a wall that we painted green. Okay. You know, it gave him a lot of ideas and, you know, we were able to help him with the stunts because, you know, we knew what we could do. We, we felt comfortable doing a little, you know, 10 second or five second fight scene, just a clip. And Travis brought, you know, all the technical knowledge with the cameras and everything and then developing this into an actual game. So that's kind of how that kind of that that started and developed. And then so if my research is correct, you worked on a total of four video games. That is correct. Um, We did the Untouchable, the original. Uh, We did shoot the Untouchable 2, which uh, which is really unfortunate. It wasn't we weren't able to actually get this completed. It actually involved Arnold Chung, Larry Lamb, uh, David Douglas, Cynthia Rothrock. um, Wow. I mean, like we had talent galore, not, not even to mention some of the, you know, Francis is, was in it. Um, Harry Carter, I mentioned before, my instructor, Greg May. Uh, there were so many cool things that we were doing. That's a story definitely for Travis in terms of the bogging down of, um, 
uh, media company and everything else. That's a, uh, it's a painful story, but uh, that's definitely his to tell. Okay. But during that time we got contact with, um, there was a rapper and the game actually was called predator or prey that saw our game and they wanted us to spin off an engine with a specific rapper. And I cannot remember the guy's name right now at the time. It's definitely on IMDb, but it was cool to kind of meet him. And at first I was just going to do choreography. Now you're talking about taking people that really haven't kicked a punch their entire life and try to get them to look somewhat good. And, you know, in a video game mode. So I was helping them with the choreography and everything. And eventually, um, you know, they were like, we want to actually put you as a character in there. So I donned my quote unquote costume as X where I played in the other two games and uh, jumped in there as well. The other two games were uh, a couple of games that Travis came up with called Bikini Karate Babes that I served as a choreographer on us, okay. which was fun. By the title alone, you know it's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Yeah, I, I just pulled that up on IMDb. and like, Because at first I thought it was a movie. I'm like, you were in a movie mm-hmm. called Bikini Karate Babes? And I'm like, oh, no, that's another video game. <laughs> <laughs> it's also it's definitely a, a game, but uh, really fun to work with the ladies there. Kind of the same thing. Uh, you had a, a tryout for a, a number of ladies that, to come out and – he wrote a script and cast characters and had them maybe one or two of them had previous martial arts experience. Okay. So you got, you can kind of work with who did have that and others were gymnasts and we work with their, their abilities as well to, you know, make them, uh, make them into playable characters. Nice. That's really cool. I've, I've had more and more guests that have been involved in video games and it's kind of cool. I know my, my instructor was involved in one, same type thing, kind of like Untouchables too. He was he was in early early to mid nineties, and it ended up never never seeing the light of day. Unfortunately, they contacted him, and he did all like the moves for it and stuff, and then the game never came out. So, kind of a bummer that you know you work on something like that and never get to see the finished exactly. product. Exactly. So. Exactly. So, how did how did your involvement with SportsMartialArts dot com come about? Uh, so that also involves uh, the other half of my life, which is um, you know the computer scientist, the programmer, the developer. Uh, way, way, way back when I was competing, I met someone named Emily Cooper, and Emily was from Ohio. She's originally from Minnesota, and if you didn't know, sport martial arts has its roots in Minnesota. I did not know uh, the, majority of the, the majority of staff uh, between Emily Cooper and uh, Nick Schneider and a couple of other people live in the, um, in the Minnesota, uh, or rather, I think it's Minneapolis area. Okay. And when I saw her, I had recognized Emily from uh, seeing her compete same time I was competing. She was in law school while I was finished up my undergraduate degree. And uh, she was a fighter as well. We became friends. And I saw her at a tournament. It was somewhere out in the Midwest. I don't remember exactly where we were at. But she said uh, she had one of these little, um, actually it wasn't little, it was a big video camera. It's full-size VHS tape. And I said, what are you doing there? She says, oh, um, you know, I bring all these kids to a tournament and every parent always asks me, well, how my kid do? Oh, this is great. They won second, third or whatever the placement is. And that's all I can tell them. So she bought a DLSR camera. And I hope I got those acronyms mm-hmm. that acronym right. But she, she bought a camera and she bought a, a video camera. So she would record uh, the performances and she said, I'm going to um, figure out how to get these online. So back then, the technology was so not, you know, not everyone had broadband. That was not a given. A lot of households themselves didn't even have uh, a computer. Mm -hmm. But she figured out a way to just take the still pictures. And she says, I'm going to I'm going to put them on a site called Mazalink. And I think that was the martial artist. I'm trying to remember what it stood for. But M.A. was a martial artist. And I forget what um, martial artist sports league incorporated i think i think that's it i asked her i said well how many pictures have you taken here today she said i don't know about 50 to 75 and i said so you're gonna make a web page for every single picture that you you've taken and she said, i didn't think about that i said why don't you let me uh, see if i can write something for you and i was developing a language that a lot of people don't use these days called cold fusion mm, okay. and i just wrote something very simple that just said hey you know pull these pictures from this page and display each one, you know, you would have like a next and a previous, you know, that was simple. I think I, you know, I could write that in like 10 minutes, nice. but I said, this is easy. You just dump your pictures here. You point the page here. And she actually started developing in cold fusion. She actually got really good, which was surprising. This is an attorney. <laughs> and she, she, you know, cause I was saying, I'll help you with some of the stuff, but you know, I, I still got this job to do and everything else. And she, she said, um, you know, I got here and I got stuck. I can't get this to work. So and a, a buddy of mine also named Aaron would, would help her out with things. So eventually she moved to an, um, 
CMSs became better as she moved to, um, it wasn't WordPress at first, it was something else, some other, um, some other type of, you know, hey, all you have to do is, you know, place your pictures here, kind of uh, lets you do WYSIWYG for, uh, for web pages. Uh, but she contacted me right around the time as I started winding down. She said, people still remember, remember you from uh, when you're competing. Would you be able to come and, you know, take pictures uh, with us at tournaments? Also uh, do our, so- our social time, which is really just Twitter in terms of taking pictures and tweeting out responses. I said, sure. And I think the first tournament I actually went there was the um, AmeriKick. And at that time, AmeriKick was in Philadelphia. They since moved it to uh, Atlantic City. So I went out there and um, took a camera. And I did, I, I'm, listen, I'm a terrible photographer. I will admit that. <laughs> Every once in a while, I get a decent picture. But I saw that we had a, a, you know, a number of different opportunities. to. I could say, hey, this is going to be a great fight coming up here. I know these two guys. Uh, get a camera over here. And it was still taking the camera, uh, recording it. Now, we had digital means, so it was all on a memory card. But it would have to be edited and put, it on, put on up. And we would dump it on, I think... Um, our Facebook page, and then eventually our YouTube page. And then we got into streaming. Uh, streaming helped us tremendously. We could take a number of things, whether it be cameras uh, or or, uh, or phones, and as long as you have a battery uh, attached to them, and as long as you had internet, and as long as no one screwed with the phone, you could set it up there and capture the entire ring. So you can now start having historical ways of going through and seeing that here's this tournament, this ring, this date, you can go in and look and see what the score was for, you know, this guy fighting this guy. Mm-hmm. That's and really cool. that made, that made things a little bit easier for us. So the, and that now, so compared to that first, you know, when it first started going, when you first got involved with it, what is it today now exactly? What, if people go to that website, what can they expect to see? So if you go to sportmartialarts.com, you can see uh, any articles that we have written recently. In fact, it reminds me, I actually have one due from uh, Karate Combat. We have pictures, we have a video, uh, they point to our page on Facebook, and also points to our YouTube page. And how it's developed is we really have become a historical record over the past 20 years of information for, for, uh, for tournaments. Before, you, you know, you're going off of everybody's memory. Hey, I remember such and such a tournament, it came down, it was four to three, this guy versus that guy, and boom, there was this score, or, or was this controversy. Well, now you actually have an actual historical record of it. Uh, we like to say that, it, well, it kind of blows our minds. There's a um, competitor on uh, John Paul Mitchell named Danny Ekin, and, and sport martial arts is actually older than Danny. It's, uh, <laughs> it, we're in our 20-something year, and we're wow. a year or so older than Danny Ekin. But the thing is, with having this now, and actually with, a, with, a, with another piece of software that was written by a guy named Hunter Lyon, uh, helped uh, spearhead this. He did some of the tournament automation uh, in terms of where we would use cards and tickets in the old days. Now you do it by an electronic mean. So therefore, you can see where you placed at a tournament. It keeps a record for you. You can see where you placed. You can look up your tournament stats. So all of that information has been kept by him. And, you know, it, it's, it's historical data for us. So when we do, when I would go do uh, like a night show, uh, like I'll use Capital Classics, for example, I'll be broadcasting with uh, Jackson Rudolph. And as the tournament starts to fill in, with the information, let's just say we have um, men's lightweight. The software enables us to look at any bracket and we can see that, I'll use an example, Bailey Murphy won 6-0 in his first match. And the next one, it was 4-2. And the next one after that was 5-1. So we can actually look and say, well, you know, so far we can tell that Bailey has won against this competitor so many times because we can go and reference that. It's instantly available for us. And we've got our notes and it just helps us sound more professional. Okay. Someone tunes in and watches. I mean, so you're basically doing the play-by-play for, for the events. Correct. You'll have, um, we can uh, introduce the competitors, you know, maybe, maybe talk a, a little bit about a tidbit about them. Uh, Jackson is really good with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that, you know, a lot of, especially on the fighting side, as I'm seeing what's happening, you kind of try to explain to the audience of what, what is happening. I think one of the best compliments that I've gotten is we're, I was doing a broadcast uh, from Ireland for the WKC. And one, someone over here was listening to the stream and they had to go, I think I had to go open up his school up. And he was wanted to, you know, it was down to the, you know, down to the finals and he wanted to know what was happening. So he said, he told me, I took my phone, I plugged in my speakers in my car and I just listened like I was listening to a baseball game. Nice. But I could understand because you were, you know, you were describing clearly what was happening. And also, you know, you're reading the emotion of the room about, you know, 
you know, all of a sudden, you know, Canada's coming back. The United States got to hold on to a lead. Looks like it's just 30 seconds to go, but they have to win by two. And, you know, after this exchange in this clash, and someone even told me that they replayed one of our broadcasts in their uh, dojo rooms, which explains to parents, okay, this is what a tournament looks like, and this is how points are scored, and here's what's happening, so that you can, you know, you can kind of understand. I think I, I took a good lesson from it when my, my youngest, she really loved our RG3 football player for yeah. our now Washington Commanders so many years ago, and she asked to go to a football game. She said, can you explain how, what the rules are? And I quickly realized that football has a lot of rules. There are a lot. There are a lot of if then, like, oh, if this happens, then this happens. Or if this happens, then this happens. So I started to think about, like, how to explain this game to her. And it also helps me explain what I'm seeing at a tournament to someone that maybe just turned on the channel or their, their grandma or their, their an uncle or an aunt and looking at their niece or nephew or grandson or, or granddaughter, what they're seeing. And it helps us broadcast and paint the picture for them. And, so, and how have the tournament promoters been? Well, have they been pretty receptive of it? Because I know, like, I used to work with a lot with our local MMA scene, and we tried doing something similar like 10 years ago, and a lot of the promoters didn't want us to because they thought it would leave people out of the seats. Mm. Well, a lot of our uh, broadcast audience, if you can't be in the immediate area, say, like, we'll use the Diamond Nationals, mm -hmm. if you can't go there and have us, you know, be in the actual seat, uh, the broadcast actually helps them fill in. Maybe someone could not make it because um, something coming up in life or they didn't have the money or something. So they'll, they'll, they'll uh, definitely check in. The promoters have really enjoyed it. It gives the event a lot more prestige. We can come back and we tell them the numbers of, you know, this is how many people watch a broadcast. Uh, you know, you, you're, getting, you're getting numbers that, are, that you wouldn't – this will extend your reach, and it's actually called reach in, in the actual stats of what you would not get this audience or your name or your tournament would not get this if you only broadcast to the X amount of people that you have in the gymnasium, the hotel room, or wherever you, you, you have your event. So you can get people excited about, oh, I want to go next year. I saw this. This is great. It's only going to help to promote your event more. So does it cost for someone to go onto the site and watch it, or are there sponsors that pay for that? So everything that we have on the site is absolutely free. Uh, if you go to our Facebook page, which is sportmartialarts.com, you can find us on Facebook. You can go back, I think, years and years and years, at least uh, before Facebook was not archiving mm -hmm. uh, the streams. They, they quickly realized that they should do that because uh, they still get eyeballs. There are broadcast, you know, I don't even know what our first one is that's on there. But also we try to capture that stuff and put it on our YouTube channel, which is also Sport Martial Arts. Okay. to uh, capture that and also contains uh, interviews that I do. And like, as I mentioned before, this is, I'm on the other side of the microphone this time mm -hmm. that I've done with people. Uh, I've had the, the absolute you know, honor of uh, interviewing George St. Pierre uh, yes. after working out with him, which was even, I can't tell you which was cooler, working out with him or interviewing him, but, you know, getting to meet people that are uh, martial arts heroes that, that people, uh, you know, meet and greet. I think I met the kids from Cobra Kai after, year one in the battle of atlanta nice. and i actually hadn't watched the show yet <sighs> okay and i went back and watched i was like oh man that they, they actually did a pretty good job you know I, mm -hmm. I like it i like it for what it is uh but this you know that vehicle in terms of martial arts has allowed me to do some really cool things that i'm eternally grateful for and just to give the, the fans an idea looking back here on your page, you know, you can click on page one and look at the videos and it goes to page 506 on your, on your <laughs> website. Um, the oldest one I'm seeing is, uh, from the 2004 world series. So, Oh man. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. About, oh, 18 years worth on there. So that's really cool. I'm actually going to have fun going through here. <laughs> I think later myself. And you may, you may find someone, you know, it's, it's really, uh, we have done things before where, I would uh, post up and say, hey, spot the photo. Tell me who you see. And you, will, you would say, oh, my gosh, that's uh, such and such when they were seven. You know, usually people are self-tagging. Yep. They're like, that was me when I was seven years old. I was like a, <laughs> I was like a red belt or something like that. Or one, one other cool thing that was really great is, now, I'll admit, I never watched a minute of the Twilight series. It mm -hmm. was not my genre. But I remember getting contacted one day. For some reason, Entertainment Tonight got my information, and they said, hey, uh, do you guys have any footage of Taylor Lautner? Uh, you know, Twilight's really big and we heard he's a karate competitor. And I said, I, this is not my footage. This is Emily and contact Emily. And she's an attorney and she, you know, worked yep. out the details with them. 
but to go and put that up when, when Sage Northcutt, Northcutt went to uh, UFC, yep. uh, people wanted to get all the footage that we had of Sage uh, as a young man. That's cool. I've actually been trying to get Taylor on the show. So, so far, no luck, but he'd be fun to chat with. So, you know, yeah, I found I found a video of him, I think, when he was like eight years old competing or something. So mm-hmm. that's really exactly. cool. So now is, I found you on this, is Matt Action, is that connected with sportsmartialarts.com or is that different? That is uh, the tournament software. So okay. That is, we, we're partnered with Matt Action. Oh, very cool. Okay, so that's a completely set, just software in its own. And interest-wise, would that be mostly for people who run tournaments that would be interested in that? Yes. Okay. Um, cool. It's uh, it's a really great system in terms of uh, explaining how to set it up, and uh, the support is really good on it. And also for me on, on the computer side, uh, you know, talking to one of the developers that was, you know, he would say, oh, you know, we're doing this and we're, we've got, you know, we closed so many tickets and I'm thinking as a developer, like, wow, you guys are moving fast, you know, but, but, you know, I could appreciate that. And occasionally I'll even come up with an idea that, that Hunter doesn't already have on his uh, Trello board in terms of like, have you guys ever considered doing the following, this, 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 he's, oh yeah, that's, uh, that's set to come out here. I really thought I'd come up with something, you know, original that you can, you know, because coming up with the idea is great. Writing the writing the code, uh, you know, I'll let someone else do that. That's nice. that's, uh, that's better for them. Well, I will definitely put a link out for that because I know a lot of my um, guests, previous guests and stuff run tournaments. So I'll definitely put that out there and, and hopefully get you some more uh, people using it. So. so what is some advice you would give someone who approaches you? They're thinking of getting involved in martial arts for the first time. They've never done it before and they just want to know what – what what are some things they should maybe look for and some things they should avoid in a school? Well, I would say the first thing to do is if you find a martial arts school, whether it is karate, kung fu, jujitsu, uh, anything, wrestling, uh, Muay Thai, uh, if you find a school that you have interest in, go there and watch a class. Go there, sit down, watch the, the interaction between instructor and student. See how things are. See if you feel comfortable. If you're not comfortable, and this goes beyond martial arts, if it's gymnastics or if it's anything else, if you're not comfortable in going, you won't go. And that is probably the saddest thing for someone that has paid their money, maybe for an entire year, maybe even bought a membership, and then they don't go because they don't feel comfortable. Maybe it's because of, you know, it could be, it could be, maybe that that school is very disciplined. They do a lot of yelling, or they're very intense. And some people they they don't want intense, and they want more relaxed. That's why you should visit any school, ask questions. You should be greeted by the instructor, and uh, you know they, they will probably offer you free classes. You know how many is up to them, but go and see if you feel comfortable. If you're not gonna, if you're not gonna feel comfortable, you're not gonna go. Right. Ask questions. Uh, ask questions to the parents that are there. Ask questions to to the students. See how they like things that are going, and then find your interest. A lot of people, uh, you don't have to go and say. I'm going to go to this Goju school and I'm going to be there for 12 years and, and I'm going to stay there. Some people like, you know, they, they went to this school and they said, you know, I've learned as much as I can. I'm going to move on from here. That's up to you. The journey is all up to you, you know, personally. Great. I like that answer. What are your thoughts then? I know we kind of talked a little bit about it. You mentioned a little bit, but what are your thoughts on MMA and the UFC? And are you a fan? So I'm a huge fan nice. of the UFC. And in terms of mixed martial arts, a lot of people, it's interesting because you will have this, and there have actually been articles about this in Black Belt Magazine, as in the traditional martial artists versus the mixed martial artists. And you might even be able to maybe even modify that M in MMA from mixed to modern. Because there's no doubt that what the UFC or what full contact uh, MMA has shown us is that you've got to have a ground game. If you go and look at any random video of someone recording two people uh, in a conflict that ends or begins in physical confrontation, the fight ends up in a grapple or a grounding situation. Mm-hmm. You have to be able or be prepared for that. So groundwork, I think, is essential. And a lot of martial artists, or excuse me, a lot of martial arts styles has some groundwork, some grappling, or something in the system. Usually the system has been streamlined to help you know other people because in terms of some people like, I'm not comfortable uh, being on the ground with someone sitting on my chest. That's fine. So that part had been taken out of the curriculum. Or you can go out on your, your own and learn some ground, uh, groundwork. The good question that the, uh, in terms of MMA has, has answered for us, the UFC was really commented about, what if you have a guy that's a black belt in Taekwondo, and you have a guy that's a black belt in wrestling, or not, uh, that, that is a collegiate wrestler, who's going to win between the two of them? Now, the answer is going to be different every night of every year, yep. the, the, putting on the two, combatants, two, the two combatants are. 
nine times out of 10, this guy will win, or seven times out of 10, this guy wins. So the idea wasn't to come in and say, we've proven blank martial art to be ineffective because we had a master here and he got destroyed by some guy who, who was a kickboxer. So I don't think that was the actual answer to this experiment that we did, but we came up with the idea that combining ground fighting, striking, wrestling, and boxing, that we've come up with a completely unique, different fighting style. So I'm a huge fan of that. I've had the, uh, with, with SMA, the great thing is that, you know, we've gone out to Vegas and covered like the Maya show. And at the same time, it was UFC fight week and get a chance to meet a few fighters and, you know, you know even interview them and talk to them and uh, really, really enjoy the sport. Nice. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of it. I think that it has increased or it could increase your um, a martial arts school enrollment. Uh, it's not going to be like, uh, and there are going to be some people say, hey, I only want to learn MMA. I, I don't want to learn anything else. I've mm-hmm. seen the UFC. I only want to learn MMA. But in that, you're really learning a traditional martial art, a martial arts. You may not know it or not. So then as a fan, did you prefer the old school MMA of the old school UFC of the early 90s or do you prefer the newer stuff? I definitely can prefer the newer stuff. One of the tangents of the, I'll say, UFC 1 through 10 mm-hmm. was that it was almost kind of like what we would call a freak show in terms of uh, booking. <laughs> yeah. We've got a 400-pound sumo wrestler here. There's a Dutch kickboxer. A Dutch kickboxer. There, the rules are there are no rules. Yep. And, you know, that kind of got them in a little trouble in the beginning where, <laughs> you know, you had Senator John McCain saying, this is human cockfighting. You can't have this. And, you know, it eventually evolved to a sports status. I think their last, you know, kind of jewel to fit in their crown was that, we're on ESPN. ESPN only covers sports. And, and therefore, it was kind of an acknowledgement that ESPN, you know, now that they have a partnership with ESPN and it's being shown on ESPN, that is recognized as a legitimate sport. I agree. But definitely, I like, I like the modern stuff. It shows a high level. And you can even divide it up even further. Uh, speaking, I mentioned George St. Pierre earlier. Mm-hmm. Looking at George St. Pierre now and looking at, like, who's winning in the welterweight division, you could see the difference of the modernization the fighters are leaner. They're, they're faster. They don't heavily specialize in one area. They're having to pay attention to ground game, grappling, uh, this. You can come in being a specialist uh, like Wonderboy. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone knows that what Wonderboy is going to do, but yet they still have a lot of, they, you know, a lot of people have difficulty stopping it. I think the days of being only a jujitsu black belt is, you know, gonna, gonna only take you so far. Yeah. I look how long it took him to figure, I mean, it took him quite a while to figure out Rhonda and she did the same thing every fight. You knew, you knew it's going to end in an arm bar. Like, yeah. okay. All right. How to not get to this position. <laughs> exactly. Okay, step one. Yeah. You're exactly right about that. And That's, that is, that is a great analogy because you see how fast that women, women's division evolved. Yeah. Exploded. Just crazy. Yeah. From, from just like what, two years before basically Dana saying, I'll never have women in the UFC. I'll never have women in. To, when are women going to be? Well, I'll never. He, he, he pro on that <laughs> now it's like hey here's our headline tonight <laughs> there are two women and so a lot of times the ladies burn the house down oh yeah they, they i mean man they put on a show oh even like local fights because i i used to judge mma locally i've judged probably close to a thousand fights over you know, a 15 year period and w- whenever we had women on the car we knew we were going to get a fight i mean that was usually one yeah. of the best fights of the night kind of cool <laughs> it's, it is interesting but uh, you know there, there might be a little bit something to say that way because as i mentioned before uh being in like the oxen hill boys and girls club and if i think back to that uh that era the only time i had a female teammate was on t-ball they didn't even have basketball for girls back then wow. they had cheerleading Jeez. and i know there were lots of ladies young ladies out there that wanted to play t-ball and the only reason i think there was a girl on our t-ball team is because she was the daughter of the coach or they wanted to play basketball or they wanted to even play football and now, as we see, uh, I think it's Title IX, and a great representative of that is Kat Zingano, who fights for Bellator, how she proved she was one of the toughest wrestlers out there and, and eventually getting the right to wrestle. Yep. And she says, I can't tell you the amount of times that someone's pulled my hair and you're snickering this and that. She says, I have to prove that I was tougher than these guys and eventually earn their respect, and then you know, they stopped the shenanigans. But having that for, for being a father of three, three girls myself, Having that ability to go there and, you know, I, I get excited every Saturday going to a soccer game for my, for my youngest, mm-hmm. that the ladies can play. That is, we finally, you know, we're getting to that point, giving them an even playing field, letting them play, letting them enjoy, letting them be, show the talent that they have. It's true. It's a great point. So who are some names that you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? So that's a good question. Going off of that, I have to put Bruce Lee there. Bruce, Bruce is not only a great martial artist, but obviously He's, a, he's an original for bringing attention to the martial arts and what he went through to do that. You know, Chinese born and the philosophy of everyone should have the ability to learn this fighting system or a fighting system. 
So I would definitely put Bruce Lee on there. Let's see, my number two. Uh, let's see, do I have a ready available number two right away? You know what? I know who I'm going to This is going to be a little bit of a curveball. I'm going to put Muhammad Ali there. Nice. Because regardless of looking at it traditionally, boxing is a martial art. Yes. Bar- boxing is a martial art. Muhammad Ali, for his stance and what he believed in and believing in himself and who he became after his days of boxing mm-hmm. were over. He truly was and is the greatest. And the more I learn about him, the more I'm like, man, I really wish I, I would have loved to just been able to sit down and just listen to him, just yeah. to, to talk to him. Uh, so Mar- Muhammad Ali would go there. And, and whoever it was that stole his bike when he was a young kid, <laughs> thank you for doing that that birthed that giant. That is true. And I think you're, ah, you're only my second guest that's mentioned him. So that's cool. Ah, there we go. I, I feel like I'm in good company. There you go. Let's see. So going down there, we've got two, and if I remember right there, four figures on Mount Rushmore. And it doesn't have to be four. I mean, I've had some guests only name three. I've had some guests name seven, so it's up to you. <laughs> it's your Mount and, Rushmore. <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting because it's, 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 my, it's my Mount Rushmore, and, I, and I'm coming, you know, I'm, I'm on the spot for this. So let me think. Let me think. Um, it's interesting because this is a question that will linger in my head later. I'm like, oh, man, uh, I wish I would have said this person. I definitely want to give one more and I will, I will say I'll put Grandmaster Rhea on there nice. for what he did for spreading Taekwondo in the martial and the, uh, in the Washington DC area, teaching the congressman and his philosophy about it. So I would, I would put him on there and the rest I will charge to my heart and not my head because I can't, uh, I don't have the time to sit and really ponder this question. That's so I'll good. give you those three. Hey, those are three solid answers, man. That's good. So in all your years of martial arts, is there one philosophy you've learned that is just super important to you? You keep coming back to it, a part of your everyday life, maybe something like that. I immediately think of, we used to have these little small um, pieces of paper uh, at the Jimmy Glendale School. And I would see them like when I would go put the kick bags away or go put, you know, a piece of equipment that we're, you know, we're, we're going to waste right before the, the men's locker room. And let me see if I can get it right on the first take. All right. The only way to avoid mistakes is to gain experience. The only way to gain experience is to make mistakes. And that quote has stayed in my head forever. And it's applied not only to martial arts, but to development, to relationships, to life itself. And we live in a society in which people love to be able to pick up and be an expert at I want to pick up Call of Duty and I want to be able to, uh, you know, have the play of the game because I just want to be, you know, expert at it. But it really goes to the philosophy of uh, the 10,000 hours of the, before becoming an expert. Right. We, a lot of people are not willing to put the time in to grind away at something. You're going to be frustrated at it. You're going to be mad at it. You're going to, you, you, you may quit. And then you restart again. I can remember many times leaving work frustrated on a Friday because I could not figure out a problem. And I would sit down and I would think about it. And then the answer would come maybe over the weekend. And then Monday I was back at it. And that happens in all areas of life. Ask someone who plays an instrument yep. how many bad notes that they make before they got to where they were. Ask a singer. Ask how many times their voice cracked before they got to you know where, they, where they're singing something that you love. So make those mistakes. Nice. Enjoy the experience. And become better, and then pass along that knowledge to somebody else. Love it! I love that answer. Very cool. And that's that's off the top of my head. That was not <laughs> that was not uh, that was not polished. That was good. That was really good. All right, I got a few fun ones to wrap it up. Do you have a right. favorite martial arts book? Favorite martial arts book would be, and I hope I'm getting the title right. I do believe it was called the Encyclopedia of the Martial Arts. It was something my dad gave to me. It was a huge book, mm-hmm. color photos, and it explained. Like, for example, if I said, hey, name some martial arts style. Uh, I'm Taekwondo style, so I'm a Taekwondo, uh, Kung Fu, Goju, uh, you know, so down the line. There were many martial arts in there that I'd never heard of before. And just because I hadn't heard of them doesn't mean they didn't exist. But it also captured a lot of the history behind them. It was founded in this year. One of the reasons was some of the early teachings were because of this. Um, and, and, you know, of this, uh, how, it, you know, how it evolved. You know, depending on where it was founded and where it, you know, where it came from. So that would be one of my favorite martial arts books. And I got to go in there for a close second. I listened to, didn't read this, but I listened to uh, Henzo Gracie's, uh, the first one was Breathe. Uh, this mm. was Breathe, not Choke. Breathe. Uh, a friend of mine recommended this to it. It was in my uh, library for an audiobook. 
and I listened to it and it was absolutely fascinating. His uh, philosophy about jujitsu and training and being one with nature and everything. It was uh, really good. That one's actually on my list. I haven't, haven't got to that one yet, but I definitely want to read that one. So you're in for a treat. Nice. And th- this one, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear your answer on this one. Cause I know you said you're a gamer favorite martial arts video game. Ooh, favorite martial arts video game. Ah, uh, you know what? I think I got to go just for nostalgia's sake. I got to go street fighter two nice. because when I was in college, that meant I could have one quarter and I could stay there between my two classes and no one could beat me, or at least the, the guys that could beat me. You know, it was, uh, I was, I was king of the castle. And it was funny because uh, in summer I would go to different arcades back when we had those. And mm-hmm. I'll find out, man, just because you're the big fish in the small pond doesn't mean that you're going to come in and just run through everybody. I learned <laughs> a lot going to different places and, and absolutely getting shown to the door and having my, you know what, handed to me. And I was like, Ooh, I got to, I got to figure out how to you know, beat that guy. <laughs> That's cool. So do you remember any of the martial arts video games on the Commodore 64? Uh, let's see. The yeah, only one I can karate? think of. Yeah, I know there's one called Karate Fighter. That's the only one I can remember offhand. Uh, let's see. Karateka? That sounds that right. That was one. Yep. I had a bootleg one called Bruce Lee. I don't think it was actually officially endorsed by Bruce Lee. And, and I found a, uh, like a video of it on YouTube. And it was as che- yes. cheesy as I remember it being back then. <laughs> you're exactly right because he would kind of like wipe his nose a little bit after a little uh, (laughs) a little strike i know exactly what you're talking about man there's another one you just reminded me of something it was something about shallon monks and i man it it was on it was either on the commodore or on the amiga one of the two i have Um, i have an amiga 500 in a box right next to my commodore 64 (laughs) there you go you're doing it right you're you're absolutely doing it right and actually i have an amiga 2000 about 10 feet away from that so (laughs) That one, that one's not working. I got to get it working though. <laughs> so. All right. How about a favorite martial arts TV show? Ooh, let's see. Favorite martial arts TV show. I got to go with the classic of Kung Fu. Okay. Both the old and then when it came back, when it came back on with the son, with David Carradine and his son. Oh, the uh, Kung Fu, the legend continues. There you go. The legend continues. You're that's the it. first one of my guests that's mentioned that show. <laughs> I've mentioned it to many and a lot of them are like, <laughs> I don't remember that or I never watched it. I actually I did a lot of TV one. watching with my dad when I was younger. And that was, that was in heavy rotation as well as the original Star Trek. Okay. So if you watch Kung Fu, the legend continues, a show that was on around the same time as that, do you remember a show called Street Justice? Yes. Uh, Oh, Carl Weathers. Yes, I was gonna say. I was like, I just, there was, there was somebody. I, 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 man, I didn't really realize that it was Carl Weathers in there. Yeah. I remember Street Justice. Yeah, Apollo Creed himself, and then the young martial artist was a gentleman named uh, a Hungar stylist named Brian Genesee. So, who will hopefully be a future guest on the show. I've chatted with them, and I'm hopefully going to work mm-hmm. that out. So, but yeah, I love it. Was I used to when I described it to people, I said it was like a grown up version of the Ernie Ray's Junior Show Sidekicks. Yeah, if you, if <laughs> you think about it, it's really the same show. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it. You know what? Hey, Hollywood is always about. You know what? Let's just repeat this. Let's yep. just put a new coat of paint on it and, and roll it out there. And I've I've emailed Disney Plus so many times, never got a response. But I'm hoping that they'll put um, Sidekicks on there because it's owned by Disney. And it'd yeah. be so I, cool to be know, able they, to watch that show other than on grainy YouTube videos. So <laughs> This is true. You know, they've got the originals. So let's, you know, they, they've done it with a bunch of stuff. So hopefully, there, I think there's a chance for that. I'm hoping to be cool. All right. How about a favorite martial arts movie? Favorite martial arts movie? See, I got to go with Best of the Best, what we talked yes. about earlier. Um, okay. And I didn't see it in theaters. Really? I okay. heard about it from either Francis or Greg May, and I went and watched it. I was like, man, that was really good. I loved it. it I, I really loved that. I mean, like, had story, had James Earl Jones, mm-hmm. you had, you know, team of Americans, so on and so forth. So definitely a classic. Yeah. It's, it's one of the ones I, I rewatch at least once a year. I just watched it again about, I, I rewatched it again right before I interviewed Simon Rhee. I had to rewatch it again just <laughs> to be fresh it's, on some of know, my questions and everything, but yeah, such a good movie. One, <laughs> one thing I will mention is I am actually something I'm have, and I have bits and flashes of memory of it. So I was the only child, and I remember my dad taking my mom and I to a theater in Chinatown in D.C., and we would watch a lot of the movies that you would see in Kung Fu Theater because mm-hmm. I would always say, I just would have to watch them for the action because I couldn't read the subtitles fast enough <laughs> yep. when I was younger. I was like seven or eight, you know, really young. But I enjoyed going there with them, even though, you know, it would be late. Sometimes I would fall asleep. But knowing that we were going to see a karate movie was really cool. I suppose you probably saw like what 36 chamber of the Shaolin and stuff like that there. That's there cool. would be things that I'd be like, Oh, I've seen this before. I have a memory of watching this and like, we'll come back. We used to get together and watch Kung Fu theater right before the football game on Saturdays while we were in college. You know, That's guys, cool. we get up about 10 o'clock and 
eat some breakfast and they come back and it would be it would be on TV and be like, oh, I remember this one. This is great, you know, so on and so forth. And, and we'd talk. We'd just sit there and watch it. It was, it was wonderful. Nice. All right, final question. This one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie, but just a favorite movie fight scene. Immediately comes to mind Daredevil season one hallway scene. Nice. Uh, one of the guys that used to be from John Sharkey school up in Chicago mm-hmm. helped do this scene. And he, he described, he was like, Oh, there were two daredevils. Cause you can't see the swap out. But when he gets knocked through the door, the second guy jumps in and does, you know, jumps back in the hallway and fights again. And he says, because they did it on a fixed camera in one cut mm-hmm. and seeing that and seeing how like that fight devolved because it went for a while. And most people are like, oh, this is great action. And I was like, yeah, if you were fighting that long, it would get sloppy and grimy <laughs> like that developed because you're tired, you're hurt. Yep. You've probably gotten kicked in the leg, the knee. You, you, you're going to take some injuries away with that. And it just devolves into just like, I just got to get past this last guy and, and do what I'm doing, whatever, whatever. I can't remember what Daredevil was doing that scene. That you're, you're just dragging yourself to that point. And you're going to be the next day under ice and, and, and black and blue and everything. But it looked... You know, there wasn't a bunch of fancy kicks and people jumping off walls and everything. It looked gritty. It looked like a fight should look. That's a great answer. No one, no one has said that yet. So that's I love it. I love. Except I'm, I'm a huge on martial arts movies. I'm huge on movie fight scenes. And you know, usually my my go to is either the the fight scene in Roadhouse or one of the fight scenes in like The Born Identity. I like some of those scenes. In the, oh yeah, yeah, that's true. But the the scene in Roadhouse actually, yeah, my my guest on my podcast in about a week i think it's october 6th so it'll be your your, your episode will air after that but my guest on on that episode i think it's episode 83 is marshall teague who is the guy patrick swayze fought in roadhouse oh. yeah <laughs> and he, he talked about he talked about that fight scene and stuff and, and i'm looking forward to that episode coming out that'll be fun <laughs> every time of course when you mention roadhouse of course i gotta go to family Guy roadhouse <laughs> at, right after peter does something yep. which is which is great because i know a lot of people are like what is he talking about I'm like oh i know what he's talking about <laughs> yep that's so cool. Yeah, it's that's another one. There's a there's like a handful of movies that I will watch at least once a year. Like that one is one best of the best. Karate Kid always. That's my go to because that's the movie that got me into martial arts. So I mean, that, yeah, Karate Kid. A lot of people have a movie that helped them. Like I yeah. saw I saw Ninja Turtles or I saw uh, Bloodsport mm-hmm. and I, and you know I went to go sign up. So yeah. it's interesting that something like that would pay dividends for karate schools. Well, and you think about it, you know, there's probably been a, a couple times, and you think about like, you know, Enter the Dragon was probably a big one. I talked to a lot of instructors that had schools back then that said Enter the Dragon, they had a huge boom. And then Kung Fu, they had a huge boom. Karate Kid mm-hmm. was massive. I mean, that was probably one of the biggest ones I've heard of is that one. And then there was like a long string where you had Chuck Norris, you had Steven Seagal, you had Jean-Claude Van Damme, and there was like that, you know, five, six-year string of just martial arts movies that just helped it. And then, of course, you had... Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers that brought so many kids in there because <laughs> the other ones yeah. were more like adults and stuff. And, and then really since then you probably haven't had much other than like the UFC, which of course was huge wow. for that, but there has been. It, it's interesting also because, because a couple speaking of a couple of former guests, you could throw WMAC masters in there, but yes. a lot of that was known from the karate community because we knew mm-hmm. a lot of the stars that were out there performing and, you know, uh, being filmed. I think he shot that in Orlando. Yeah. Uh, if I remember right. Yep, I think so. I think you're right. Yeah, I've had a handful of guests from there, and that's the whole reason I had them is because I used to watch them compete in the Diamond Nationals. So I, when I decided to do this show, I'm like, you know, I was talking to, to my cousin who's a listener of the show, and he's like, you got to try to get Carmichael Simon. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, why not? Exactly. I'll, I'll ask him. He was like the first NASCAR guy I got, and then I got him, and then I got Casey Marks, and then I got, you know, people like that, and I've had, you know, John Worley and and – you know, hoping to have Larry Carnahan soon and, and have you know, had Joe Corley on my show and, you know, different people like that. So, yeah, it's been good. It's it's a, it's huge a, it's, NASCAR resume. That is, yeah. is, you know. It's a nice mixture because the, the idea behind the show was I, I wanted a nice mixture. I wanted a mixture of, you know, tournament people, traditionalists, you know, people in movies and you know, people people have heard of and people people have never heard of, you know, and mm-hmm. a nice mixture. And I've been lucky with that. I've, when I f- decided to start doing the show about two years ago, I said, if I can't line up 20 interviews, I'm not going to do the show. There's no way. Mm. I said I might record some, and then I, if I can't get any more, and I ended up having, before I started recording, I had, I think, almost 30 interviews lined up, and I had 25 recorded before the show launched. So That's a, that's a good, yeah. from, from <laughs> understanding how this works, and it's really good to get a bunch in the can so that yes. you can just 
fire them all. That's a good number. Yeah. And I, I've only come close a few times to missing a week because I've had a couple times where I was still up at like 2 a.m. editing an episode to get out the next morning. But normally, like right now, I think I'm about a month ahead. And, and I have That's like good to be there. I'm yeah. telling you, you're doing it right. If you, if your mother had, yeah, I've also, I think every guest I've had has recommended other guests, which is super helpful. Cause then when you can say, Hey, this person told me to contact you kind of like with it you, yeah, exactly. Mr. Pineda, he's like, Hey, I think you'd really enjoy talking to Mallory. So I'm going to put you in touch with them. I'm like, all right, cool. I think Mr. Pineda actually lined up four or five interviews for me. So that's a good feeder. And you know, I'd love to, I'd love to participate with that. I'd love to have you contact uh, Ross, Ross uh, Constant to talk about, Going to Hollywood at 18 and like figuring that out. Definitely. Yeah. Put them in touch with me. I'd love to. And I'll put links for all your stuff, whatever you want me to put for sportsmartialarts.com. I'll even put it for your IMDb page if people want to check out your video games. Anything you want me to put links for it, but anything else you want to mention before I let you go? Uh, thank you for uh, doing this. This has been this has been really refreshing to be on the other in the microphone. Uh, you definitely made me think about a lot of good things for, I can't believe it's been 30 years since I've been in the martial arts and one of the things, I think one of the best questions that I've come up with originally, and actually two, and I'll try to add, I'm going to ask myself the second one, two questions I've asked people that they've, uh, they stopped and mm -hmm. thought about. And one is, what are you most thankful for that the martial arts has done for you? Oh, nice. A lot of people, like, they said like, oh man, you know, hey, you know, I've traveled all around the world or I've met this person, this, this, and that for me. I love to travel and I've met so many great people, whether they're world champions or they just enjoy teaching karate to children or right. uh, they've always wanted to learn martial arts or this, that, and the other. It's, it's given me, it's paid me back way more than I've ever invested in the martial arts. And that's why if there's any chance to give back, I do. That's awesome. uh, it's just great. The other thing is I asked a, a lot of people this like, so if you didn't become if you didn't become a UFC fighter or MMA fighter or this, that, and the other, you know, what would you, who would this person would have been if it wasn't for karate? Mm -hmm. For me, if I were to think about that and ask this question, I'd be a 100% technology nerd and be more in technology than I would have uh, even now. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of uh, straddled both worlds trying to help incorporate technology into, you know, helpful martial arts and, and, and moving in that direction. But I've had some really interesting answers when I've asked people that. A lot of people had to sit and think, like, wait a minute, I don't know. I, I think I asked Calvin Katara about this. I said, what, what would it be if you didn't, you know, get this? Probably getting drunk and beating up people at a bar somewhere. Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, at least he's honest. On, at least he's honest, exactly. You know, uh, it's, you know, there was an intersection of your life with the martial arts. And now that you've traveled with it, no matter what style, make, or method you've studied, it has changed your life and become a part of you until you leave this earth. Nice. I just want to thank you. This has been so much fun. I, I, I love chatting with you. I'm, I'm glad Francis put us in touch with each other. I think it was a, a great interview and I loved learning more about you and, and hearing about you. And I'm definitely going to be checking out the website because there's, I love watching that stuff and it'd be kind of fun to hear you, hear you're doing your thing and doing the play by play. So <laughs> yeah, definitely check out uh, one. I would really recommend uh, WKC. I think it was, WKC either 2016 or 17. One was in Ireland and one was in uh, one was in one was in Ireland. One was in the uh, United States. Especially as things developed between the Canadians and the Americans, and I'm you know seeing like, wait a minute, uh, we just had these two, these two guys just got injured. They're on the men's fighting team, which comes up next. What uh, what are the what you know what's the U.S. going to do? Canada's got it. There all their fighters are available. And then like as this drama you know played out in front of me. Um, you know, because I was I was the only one there, and I'm trying to carry it. I remember being so sore right after that in <laughs> Ireland from talking from two hours straight, and someone oh, yeah. put what I thought was apple juice in front of me, and it was apple cider, <laughs> and I completely slammed it. And I'm someone who usually does not drink, and I was like, I think I like another one of those. That was that was great. <laughs> wow. But this, th thank you so much, Brian. This has been this has been a ton of fun. It's been great to you know run back and uh, think about a bunch of uh, you know things. I will definitely be in touch uh, to reach out to Ross to, to get you in contact with him. And if there's anything I can do to help you, uh, please let me know. I appreciate that. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.